So welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Darker Audio Podcast. With me this time out is somebody we've not had on the show before. It is Six Moons' Srijan Ibayan. Welcome, Srijan. Vielen Dank. We are, we are gathered here today to talk about bass. Correct. Right? And we're going to step through some ideas that you've laid out in an absolutely excellent article, which went up today on my website, called... What does I call it? Subucus or subucus? Are you cussing your sub? But I think we should start, before we get to subwoofers, we should start really at the the most basic place. If you've got a pair of stand mounts, is it better to upgrade to a pair of floor standers or add a subwoofer to those stand mounts, in your opinion? Because I know you have some fairly strong feelings about this. Well, in my opinion, you are better off augmenting a, let's say, six and a half inch two-way monitor, or even mm-hmm. smaller, like the kef that you like, mm-hmm. and adding a sub. Like in my case, it's a small Dyn Audio. It's called the 18S, sells for about 1,400 euros. Mm-hmm. In your case, it's the kef KC62, which I believe is 1,500 euros. Correct, yes. Yep. Well, I think that for less money, you get more performance than going from a monitor to, in the same line, uh, the next or the second next up floor standard. Because Mm. the floor standard will still have passive bass. And passive bass does not allow you, the listener, to adjust the relative bass level. And it also forces you to put your main speakers in one place where they image the best, Mm-hmm. which may not necessarily be the place where the bass integrates the best in the room. Right. The moment you sort of take a chainsaw and you cut your floor sender in half and you <laughs> keep the tops, which mm-hmm. are your monitors, yeah. and you replace the bottom with a standalone box or two, now you have more flexibility about where you place your single or dual subwoofer and you have independent adjustability over its crossover, meaning where it starts to roll in, you have adjustability over its volume relative Mm -hmm. to your mains, so you can make the bass louder or not as loud. And this can also depend on the time of day that you listen. Mm -hmm. Or if you were to listen very, very low, quietly, what most people notice is that the first thing that disappears is the bass. Right, yes. So if you have a subwoofer, you can counter that. So if you have a late night listening session and you like to listen to some electronica, which live and die on their bass, you just dial the bass up a little higher than you would during the day. And you can listen at very low volumes and the bass is still there. And most subwoofers today also offer some kind of EQ, Mm -hmm. which means you can compensate for some room modes. Uh, You might even EQ in a little bit of bass boost, if that sounds better to you in your room. Right. And you will also get more bass and more quality bass from a smaller box, because we are talking about active bass, mm-hmm. than you would need to do in a passive box. So to me, the advantages are performance and money. More performance and less money if you add to a small speaker a subwoofer rather than going to a floor standard in the same line that is one or two models up. Right. I, I mean, I, I think I agree with you on this, but I guess the counter argument would be that if you buy a floor stander 
the designer has already implemented the crossover from, say, the mid-base driver down to the low-base driver on your behalf. So you don't have to do any fiddling. It's just plug and play, set and forget. But with that comes, a, as you pointed out, significant inflexibility. But with flexibility of adding a sub, you then have the... Let's not, it's not an in, insignificant battle to integrate a sub with your stand mounts, with your two ways, in a room. It's not easy for most people, let alone newcomers, right? So there is a price to pay for going that route, I think. Correct. There's a learning curve and there are mm. certain requirements that I think we can talk about today. That in order to do this right, there are certain things you need to consider. I mean, I think most people, when they first get a bias subwoofer, they put it down where they think it looks the best, right? And then right. they might decide to tackle, well, it depends if they've got their own crossover, but let's assume they haven't and they have to cross it over manually. Are they going to maybe set the crossover point to 80 hertz? Because that seems to be an industry standard and then mess around with the gain switch to see where it crosses over best for them? Okay, so a few things. First, the crossover frequency of the subwoofer, what we mm. call the low pass, yep. should be adjusted relative to where the main speaker rolls out. So if the main speaker is rated at, let's say, 48 hertz minus 3 dB, mm -hmm. which I believe is probably close to the little calf LS50. Yes, yes, yes. So let's call it 48. Mm -hmm. So obviously, if you set your subwoofer at 80 hertz, you have too much overlap. Yes. So you will have fat, boomy possibly, or at least bloomy mid or upper bass. Mm -hmm. Now, another problem that we need to consider is that the speaker, the speaker's low frequency spec is listed at minus 3 dB. That's the industry standard. It's mm -hmm. minus 3 dB at 48 hertz, unless the manufacturer specifies otherwise. Mm -hmm. But the subwoofer's crossover frequency is usually a fourth-order Linkwitz-Riley filter. Right. Okay, that's big words, but this, that seems to be the industry standard. Mm -hmm. However, the Linkwitz-Riley filter frequency is always given as its minus 6 dB point. Yes. So even if you have 48 hertz, roll out of your main speakers mm. and the 48 hertz roll in of your subwoofer, it's still not exactly correct. Because the crossover slopes yes, are different, The, the right? crossover slope, the, no, the frequency that is listed for the subwoofer is not the same as that of the main speakers. Right. Because it's, it's listed at minus 6 rather than minus 3 dB. So that the rule of thumb that if you have a ported speaker, and you want to figure out what the low pass frequency of the subwoofer should be, you multiply that number by 0 0.7 and for a sealed speaker by 0 0.6. That's how you figure out what the filter frequency of the subwoofer should be, which is usually listed as minus 6 dB. Mm. But roughly, if we're just talking roughly, we would say that the frequency should be pretty much the same. So if the main speaker rolls out at 48 hertz, you would most likely start your subwoofer somewhere around 40, 45, 48 hertz. And then you just adjust the gain. Yep. So that in your room, in your seat, to your ears, you have the most linear 
progression. Right. So that the base doesn't suddenly jump forward and it's also not fading out too fast. Mm-hmm. And now the one thing that we haven't considered yet is the relative phase. And usually our subwoofer gives us not just a gain adjustment and not just a filter adjustment, but also a phase switch. Sometimes it's continuous, sometimes it's just plus, I mean, in phase or out of phase. Can we just take a moment to explain to people what phase means? Because very, I, th- I see a lot of confusion amongst, I guess, say a broader YouTube type audience, because we see phase, well, you, we see the, the word phase used in two distinct areas. So our speakers can be in and out of phase depending upon how we connect the speaker cables. Well, very basically speaking, it is just about either reinforcement or cancellation. So if at the filter frequency, the sub is out of phase with the main speakers, mm-hmm. then at that frequency, you have cancellation. So you have a suck out. But it's not just about total cancellation. It can also be just a partial phase shift. So yes. 360 degrees and zero and 180. Mm-hmm. Those would be the main points. But you also have values in between. Which is and, where the slide comes in, right? Because exactly. And so the easiest way to sort of set the subwoofer's face correctly is to play tones at roughly the filter frequency mm-hmm. and then adjust the phase and see when what you hear is the loudest. Because that means now that nothing is cancelling. Mm-hmm. You don't have to sub partially cancel the output of the speaker. So if we have our 48 or 50 hertz filter frequency, mm-hmm. we would play tones between 40, 50, and 60, and 70, mm-hmm. and make sure that as we change the phase on the subwoofer, we pick the setting where the tones that we're hearing are the loudest in the seat. Right. So now we have adjusted the phase, we have adjusted the gain, the separate mm-hmm. volume control for the subwoofer, and we have adjusted the filter frequency. But we're not quite done yet. Not at all. <laughs> because one thing that we haven't considered is timing. Mm-hmm. Right? We've all heard of time-coherent loudspeakers. And one of the most famous ones was probably the Teal loudspeaker, mm-hmm. which is no longer made, but it had that sloping baffle mm-hmm. where people could actually see that the acoustic centers of the individual drivers, from the tweeter to the mid-range to the woofer, they were actually aligned. Mm-hmm. And today we have Vandersteen. Yep. And the most inexpensive Vandersteen sort of hides its drivers behind a cloth baffle. But if you take that cloth baffle away, you will see like a Mayan step pyramid. It mm-hmm. accomplishes exactly the same thing. So a designer there was very, very keen on making sure that in the seat, the signal from the tweeter, the mid range, and the woofer arrive at our ear at the same time. Now, what happens if we take our two-way monitor and mm-hmm. we set it up, let's say, a meter away from the wall, that, let's say, puts it three meters away from the seat. Mm-hmm. And now we decide that we like the look of the subwoofer best in the corner. So mm-hmm. we stick it in the corner, except in the corner, it puts it another meter or possibly two meters farther away from the seat than our speakers. So mm-hmm. now, the subwoofer's output will arrive at our ears two meters late, which yep. equals about six milliseconds. Mm-hmm. So if I was a Vandersteen owner and I had the smallest Vandersteen and wanted to add more bass, 
and bought a subwoofer and set it up in the corner, I now basically defeated Richard Vanderstein's credo of time alignment because mm -hmm. I put the woofer way too far away. And that is assuming that the subwoofer's electronics don't create their own digital latency. Mm -hmm. And that's an issue today because a lot of subwoofers use DSP, digital mm -hmm. signal processing. And the more intense the processing is, maybe because it involves room correction, mm -hmm. the more time it takes between the input signal, the processing, and the output signal. For mm -hmm. example, there's a line of Norwegian subwoofers that have a nine millisecond digital latency that equals three meters. Right. So even if you sat that sub up in the middle between your loudspeakers, equidistance from you in the seat, mm -hmm. the subwoofer still behaves as though it was three meters further away. Yes. So to correct for that, you would have to actually sit the subwoofer three meters closer to your seat than the speakers. And now you see the problem. If you're only sitting two meters from the speakers, now the subwoofer has to be behind you. Yeah. Or you have to have a really, really big room and you put it somewhere on the side. So we can now talk about you know, integrating the subwoofer in the amplitude domain, which is mm -hmm. the frequency response. Mm -hmm. So we have a linear progression from where the speaker cuts out and where the sub comes in. So there's mm -hmm. no gap and there's no peak. The bass just continues lower than it did before. Yeah. But we also have now considered the time domain so that the bass doesn't arrive late. And now we have to talk about one of the myth about bass. And people like to say that there is no such thing as slow bass because all frequencies travel at the same speed. Let me repeat mm -hmm. this. All frequencies travel at the same speed, so there's no such thing as slow bass. Mm -hmm. It's sensible, right? I mean, on the face of it, that argument makes sense. I guess on but, a very base, base level, yes. Yeah. Yes, but if you set your subwoofer up too far away, mm. either physically or because of a time delay in its pro signal processing, the bass arrives at your ears late. Yes. And anything that arrives late is by definition slow. Yes, well, you've, you've created a, a situation where it cannot arrive anything but late. Correct. So now the bass seems to just slightly lag behind everything else. Mm -hmm. It seems to just hang just a little bit. So there is such a thing as slow bass, mm. but not because the woofer is slow, or not because the bass waves travel slower than the high frequencies, but it's because we have set the driver that reproduces the bass farther away from us than the main speakers. It's a very, very basic thing. Mm -hmm. So in order for, for our integration to be proper, we have to consider proper gain, proper crossover frequency, proper phase adjustment, and we have to account for timing. I think timing is probably the hardest to fix in, of those three. Would, I don't know whether you would agree with that, but... Uh, yes and no. But for example, the reason why I decided to buy this Dynaudio subwoofer after mm. I investigated a lot of them uh -huh. was that besides having an internal high pass, which mm -hmm. is something we're going to talk about in a bit, yeah, <laughs> in a bit, it also has 
digital delay for the uh, mains. Okay. So oh, I see. I, right, right. So okay. if I was yeah. to set up that subwoofer where I think it looks best, and let's mm-hmm. assume that's in the corner, yeah. and I happen to like my speakers out in the room, which means my speakers are at least two meters from the front wall. So I put the sub in the corner, it's basically two meters too far away. Mm. But the Dynaudio allows the signal that is now going to the main speakers to be delayed to make up for that fact. Right. And all I need to tell the Dynaudio electronics is that the, meet, that, that the subwoofer is two meters behind the speakers. And it automatically says two meters equals six microseconds. The, the signal to the main speakers now must come to the amp six microseconds after the signal to the sub. Gotcha. And, and voila. Now we have time alignment in the acoustic domain, but to the eye, we don't. The speakers are closer, the subwoofer is mm-hmm. farther away. But if you put the sub in the corner of the room, as you've suggested, or even near a wall, then you're introducing boundary gain, right? Yes. And note that I did not suggest you put it there. I just said, if you think it looks best. Absolutely, yes. So now we need to talk about the dirty secret of bass, uh-huh. which is what we usually call room gain. Mm-hmm. So what is room gain? Basically, as you descend in frequencies, the wavelengths become longer and longer. Eventually, mm-hmm. they become so long that they are far longer than the widths of your speaker baffle or the widths of your subwoofer. For example, a 20 hertz wave is about 20 meters long. A 40 hertz wave is still about 9 meters. Yeah. Now compare that to a 20 kilohertz wave, which is like just 0.66 inches. Huh. So usually at around 200 hertz and below, frequencies start to travel omnidirectional, which means yeah. in all... So they, the, the sound waves now reflect off the ceiling, off the floor, off the side walls, and off the front wall. The front mm-hmm. wall being the wall that we are looking at while we listen to the speakers. But as we ascend in frequency, the frequencies are starting to bundle more. So instead Mm -hmm. of having a flashlight, we are starting to have a spotlight. Right. So below 200 hertz, we start to get reflections. And the reflections add their own gain. In -hmm. other words, we hear the bass more than once. We hear the line of sight, direct bass, Mm -hmm. that arrives at us first. And then, delayed in time, we hear the bass reflecting off all the other boundaries in the room, Mm -hmm. which are four walls, plus the ceiling, plus the floor. That's six surfaces, plus whatever other furniture we have in the room that might still add a reflective surface. Mm. But but does... Sorry, if I just might interject here. Does putting the subwoofer closer to a reflective surface, like the front wall, increase the amplitude of the reflection yes right so you get the most gain you get the most free gain if you put the subwoofer in the corner where three reflective boundaries meet right the front wall one side wall and the floor right they all meet so you have the highest boost from the reflections on top of what the subwoofer is generating right which is why room gain is free 
you don't pay for it. It just happens automatically <laughs> yes. because of the room. <laughs> yes. But it also causes issues. Mm -hmm. Because room game is always late. Because it's based mm -hmm. on reflections. And so all of us, with the exceptions of very few, we get to that as well, we are used to a sound that in the time domain gets more and more blurry as we go down into the bass. Mm -hmm. Because that's where we have more and more reflections and we hear the sound more than once. And the problem gets bigger as our room increases in size. Mm -hmm. Because that means that the reflective pathways are longer. Mm. And here on the side note, it's also not such a good idea to go after a really high ceiling. I had quite a few in my career different rooms with like cathedral ceilings or mm -hmm. two-story ceilings. And you think that would be a fabulous thing. You said, wow, this must be really great, big cinerama type sound. No, it's not. The problem is that your path lengths become longer. You are mm -hmm. having much more reflective reverb. So instead of the bass going like, it gets more like pow, pow, or poof, poof, and all that, right. all yeah, that yeah. stuff, that's sort of that, that reverby, echoey, muddy stuff that's lingering. Mm. So the problem with that with room gain is that the bass doesn't stop on time. It keeps extending past where it should. It overhangs. Mm. But anybody that's listening to a box speaker, and particularly a ported speaker, is used to that sound, to that bass sound that is a little bit thick, mm. a little bit fuzzy, round, but also a little bit blurry. It's sort of on the fat side. Mm -hmm. So if you want to cut this out, if you want to cut out the room gain, because you realize that it is not on the recording, it's something that your room adds, but it only adds it to the bass. It doesn't mm -hmm. add it to the rest of the bandwidth. Then we're going to room treatments, something that you have experimented with lately. I have, yeah. But not so much for the bass, although I did last year have a bunch of bass traps from GIK Acoustics in place, and they were, well, I won't say they're broadband. They were meant to target 35 hertz. Maybe they would target 36, 37, 34, 33 as well. But they were big, really big physical boxes that, you know, were, I had two in the front left corner. I had six in the rear right, and I never even though they're actually quite attractive as individual pieces, I just never liked the compromise of having that much in physical intrusion in my room, which might sound ironic given my recent Vicoustic treatment, but just those big things for bass treatment, they, they just annoyed me. I mean, this is my living space, as it is my listening room as well, and my workspace as well. But yeah, I didn't really... I didn't really click with having that much physical mass in the room just to kind of maybe bring the 35 hertz mode down a bit. It just seemed too much for too little, excuse the pun, gain in terms of bass improvement. Out of curiosity, when we're talking size, what are we talking? Are we talking like a shower stall filled with stuff or like a telephone booth or a refrigerator? Um, let me, I think it was, a. I think there's 60 centimeters by 60 centimeters by the depth was the, the bit that I guess was allow them to go lower in terms of absorption. Uh, I think maybe 30, so 60 by 60 by 30, but mm -hmm. when you put two together, when you stack two, that's a lot of stuff, right? right? And then when I had six behind me, which 
I very rarely showed in videos just because it's pretty ugly. Um, you know, then you're talking, yeah, three times. So we're talking, we're talking so 180 by 120 by yeah 35, but actually in an L shape. So it was just, it doesn't sound like 60 by 60 by 35 doesn't sound that big, but it really is when you start to, you know, move them around and, and pile them up. Now, we now have to admit that when you add a subwoofer to get more bass, you're also now generating this problem that you're hearing more of the room's reverberant behavior as you descend in frequencies. And you're also more likely to ride what's called the room mode, mm -hmm. which has to do with the physical distance of the front wall to the rear wall, side wall to side wall, ceiling to floor, and yep. the diagonals corner to corner. Right. They can, they can amplify certain frequencies, and most rooms, most normal size rooms, usually have a mode somewhere between 35 and 50 hertz, mm -hmm. and then they will have the harmonic, so 70 yep. to 100. So if your speaker never went down to 35 hertz to begin with, you may not have triggered that room mode at all, or only marginally, but now you add the subwoofer, Yep. And you think you're in heaven with all that bass, and suddenly you notice on certain tracks this like really annoying thing where the room goes off like a bell. That each time the music somehow hits that neighborhood of 35 hertz, the room does this boom, and it just yeah. sort of takes a while to settle down. And if you are sensitive to that, that might bother you more than the gains, which means that now you hear bass you haven't heard before. And if it doesn't hit the 35, it's nice. So th this problem only arrived in my life when I introduced speakers into this room that went below the usual, I don't know, 50 hertz, 45, 40 hertz roll off of most of the stand mounts that I used. And really, well, I had the key three first, but the key three is a different thing. So I don't want to go there just yet. But when the Dutch and Dutch HC came here for a, a few months and we did the measurement of the room to adjust each one to, to compensate for the room. This is when I discovered firsthand with Room EQ Wizard that I had a 35 hertz mode because until that point, my speakers never went that low. So when I have a speaker that does, it becomes an issue and you have to compensate for it. So with the great thing about the HC is you can pull down the peaks. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a bit of a dark art in knowing which you know, how much DB or negative DB to apply, what Q to apply, so the width of that um, correction. But it really opened my eyes to the problems that the room can introduce to those lower frequencies that I'd not really had to kind of think about too much previously, because prior to that, any sort of bass enjoyment or assessment that I would apply to music came from headphones, which is why, and I, we, I know you and I have discussed this many times, it's why headphones are crucial to kind of getting a better understanding of what something kind of should sound like, you know, in the lowest frequencies in the bottom octave, so that right. you have a baseline, sort of loosely speaking, to compare your room to. I know it's not exactly the same, headphones versus speakers, but it gives you some idea, I think. Would you agree with that or no, no? Uh, no, I completely agree. Yeah. To me, the only way that we as consumers can have an approximate idea of what's actually on our recordings before the room mm. does its arbitrary EQ is to use headphones. 
Yeah. That gives us not only an idea about fine detail that we might be missing, but more importantly, it gives us a very good notion of the recorded tonal balance. Yes. Okay, we always knew there was bass there, but how, how much weight should the bass actually have as per the recording? Mm. And headphones don't suffer the same problems as speakers do, because headphones don't really see a room per se. They mm -hmm. still see the little rooms that are created by the ear cushion yeah. in the pillow. And yes, there are some reflections going on, but by contrast, they're much smaller than speakers. Mm -hmm. And there is even headphones that do away entirely with even the little ear cushion and pillow. They're like open baffles. Mm -hmm. The AKG K1000 was the first and most famous one. Mm -hmm. Today we have the RAL ribbons. We have the replacements for the AKGs. I have the Royal Ribbons, and they are sort of my truth serum. <laughs> they tell me what the recorded dynamic, I mean, tonal balance of my recordings really is. Mm -hmm. And then I can compare that to what my speakers are doing, and I see right. where the speakers are lying. And the speakers are always lying. And they're lying particularly in the bass. And here's an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. You and I don't do any measurements, right? We don't publish speaker measurements. Now, if you go to Stereophile or you go to Soundstage and you look at their unechoic speaker measurements, you see that below 100 hertz, they all fall off rapidly. Mm. Well, that's because in an unechoic environment, you don't have any room gain. Right. So they're designed to preempt room gain. Is that what you're saying? So if you take all of those reflections away, mm. suddenly there's very, very little bass which is why those measurements don't help the end user have any idea what that speaker will sound like in their room. The bass tends to be the most problematic because that's where the room modes start to dominate. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have done some basic REW measurements in here, mainly with Martin from Dutch and Dutch. Also, I've done, I've done a couple myself. I did some for GIK, but I'm, I'm not really an expert in that area. So I've done them, but I, Here's the interesting thing, is I, I actually I did have another go at it about a month ago, and I moved the microphone ten huh. centimeters just to see what would happen. Yeah. So I did the same sweep, but with the mic ten centimeters to the right of where I'm sitting now, and you'd be amazed at how different the result was in certain areas. I was like, whoa! So you're telling me if I just move the microphone a little bit, I get a drastically different result in some areas? I thought, well, okay, well that that pretty much puts the boot in on that because how do I know which one is the, is the, is the truest picture? I've got no idea. That's actually been my experience as well. Uh, a long time ago when I was still living uh, in America, uh, outside of Santa Fe, uh, mm. Zoo came by, three of them came by to deliver a speaker. And they also had microphones and test kit with them. And so we spent a whole afternoon measuring. And that's exactly what we saw that, how sensitive the measurements are to the precise microphone placement. Yeah. And the only measurement that we took that corresponded at all to what I heard, mm. we thought, okay, I can see that that measurement tells me something important about the speaker because that's precisely what I heard. It was the impulse response. Okay. The impulse response was very clean. And since the speaker was basically a single driver speaker, just with mm -hmm. an add-on tweeter at 10 kilohertz, it acted like a point source without any 
uh, crossover filter on it. Right. And so that measurement told me something, but all the rest of it, especially the frequency response, said nothing because it was so dependent on exactly where the microphone was placed. Mm. And that's when I decided that at that point in time that I was never going to get into measurements. I didn't think that they told me anything worthwhile as a potential end user. And which is not to say that measurements don't have a place. Yes. Because yes. some end users know how to read them. Mm. But that's a bit of a dark art. That's something that one has to learn. And it's not just a single measurement, but one has to learn how to correlate a whole suite of measurements. Mm. And designers certainly know how to do that. You know, and some readers, some end users are very educated on, on that matter. I just decided that I wasn't. And I didn't think that my readers would be. And I didn't want the measurements to sort of add confusion. But that just got us off on a tangent here. So it did. <laughs> I'm going to talk about bass. Mm -hmm. But so now we've talked about the, how adding a subwoofer can also add problems that we were not aware of before. Mm -hmm. And one solution are room treatments. Room treatments can absorb those long bass waves to prevent them from reflecting. Mm. So they can basically null out or at least minimize room gain. But what if, for visual reasons, we don't want those big room treatments? The ones that you have, I find rather attractive, but like you admitted, they don't really do much in the base. The ones that you have right now oh, on the so wall. The they do yes, the Vicoustic ones, um, yeah, I think it's, a, it's fairly minimal, and they're certainly not going down to 35 hertz, because I don't think they have the physical mass to it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I do have a tower of power in the corner behind me, but you can't, I, I shouldn't really talk about the visual here because we're on a podcast, but it's, it, it is a bass trap of sorts, but I don't think it does low bass. Mm -hmm. So I think I really have to be f fair and say that even though my room treatment is fairly comprehensive in, you know, from 20 kilohertz all the way down, it probably doesn't tackle much below, oh God, I don't want to maybe below, I don't know, 100, right. 80. So the, there is a cutoff. But I also have to qualify that and say the transformation acoustically of this room in, you say, like a 100 and above is just marvelous. It is unbelievably good. But in the low end, you're correct. It hasn't really done all that much. Okay, so now the next question we ask is if room treatments are out, because we can't stomach the look of them because they mm -hmm. have to be so big and we they don't do. have a, a hung ceiling that could hide the physical mass of the room treatment of the mm -hmm. absorptive material we would need. Is there another way to minimize or cancel room gain? And here we get to our second myth, our second base myth, which says that Base is always omnidirectional. Well, that depends upon the device producing it, I would think. Yes, because there are some speakers that have a dispersion pattern that is not 360 degree. Mm. The one that you mentioned before was the key three. Yes. That has what they call a cardioid dispersion pattern. And cardioid refers to heart shape. Mm -hmm. And basically what the designer did 
He's very smart. I can only paraphrase what I understand. But he's using cancellation between rear-firing and side-firing drivers, mm -hmm. plus very, very heavy DSP to cancel out the base that aims backwards at the front wall. Yes. And also, to quite some degree, the base that would reflect off the side walls to sort of force the base that we hear at the direction of the listener. And you and mm -hmm. I have both reviewed that speaker, and I mm -hmm. think we both have done the same thing, which is walk behind it. Right. And you hear hardly any bass at all. It really does work. So without any room treatments whatsoever, the speaker's dispersion is, is taking away the front wall as a reflective surface. It's minimizing what's happening on the side walls. Mm -hmm. So it probably, if we say that room gain is being created by six boundaries and we just mm -hmm. took away three, maybe we can say roughly that we've just eliminated 50% of room gain, roughly. There's still some there, yeah, but we've eliminated a lot without any unsightly treatments and without any, well, without any DSP that we had to buy extra because mm. the DSP is actually built into the speaker. Right, it is. I mean, that is a full range speaker. Or no, close to full range, I think. Well, it is full range in a small room if you don't play it too loud. Right. And then as you play it louder and louder, then between 40 and 20 hertz, the speaker can't keep up. So that right. section of the frequency response starts to fall off unless you add their add-on tower, which right, is basically BXT, yeah. you know, a woofer tower so that it's 20 to 20 at high levels, even in bigger rooms. But now what if you don't like the key three? Right, right. Or you can't afford it. Or there's some other reason why mm. you mm -hmm. won't end up with that. Is there another type of speaker that you could use that doesn't activate the room the same as a box speaker? And yes, there is. Mm. It's a dipole. Mm -hmm. And dipoles are open baffles. Mm -hmm. So very famous ones would be the magnapans, the panel yep. speakers. Yeah. Right? They're very, very shallow on the side. They look like a Chinese uh, you know, um, screen. Yeah, like a wall device. Device. yeah, yeah, yeah. And other ones that are quite well known that use dynamic drivers would be Emerald Physic and mm -hmm. Spatial Audio. Yeah. And they're not even that expensive. I mean, they started, I believe, at about a thousand euros a pair. I think yeah. Clayton Shaw, who runs Spatial, has stopped doing the more affordable models. I think he's sort of stepped up to about three grand entry point, four grand, but it's still, the principles still apply. Yeah, still Walter, like, Liederman, yeah. Walter Liederman, who bought Emerald Physics, he is still doing the, the more affordable ones. Right, so, right. So what we have there is we have a speaker whose front radiation and rear radiation are both free to play the room because mm -hmm. the rear wave is not being caught or captured in a box. Right. And that means that the rear wave is out of phase with the front wave, Mm -hmm. And so at the side of the speaker, where those two waves meet, mm -hmm. is complete cancellation. That's why mm -hmm. it's called a figure eight. If you right. look at the figure eight from the top, it's two circles with sort of a waistline that is very, very narrow. Right. That, so waistline, yeah. that waistline is the sidewalls. There's hardly any output. So again, that speaker takes away two reflective surfaces that no longer contribute any room gain. Yes. So again, by just choosing the speaker properly, 
you have less problems as you go down in frequency. So if you and, get some, sorry, if I may interject here, because the uh, Magnapan LRS is 600 bucks in the USA. Right. It's a, it's a small panel speaker. So if you want to eliminate sort of sidewall reflections, that's a great place to start. You know, if you want to experiment and you've not got a big budget. It is. And not only that, but sidewall reflections very often also smear imaging. Mm -hmm. And if you have a narrow room where the speakers must sit really close to the sidewalls, and yes, you can angle them in, but the sidewall might be within 20 or 30 centimeters of the speaker. Mm -hmm. So now you have a lot of very early sidewall reflections. You can't really do much about it yeah. unless you put a magnum pen in there. Yeah. And that magnum planer now will behave as though your sidewalls disappeared. Yep. So acoustically, your room just got a lot bigger. When you close your eyes, you no longer, quote unquote, hear the sidewalls. They have actually disappeared. Right. But I, th I would think you'd still have to add a subwoofer to even to the LRS if you want to hear from 20 hertz, maybe even up to 50, 45 hertz. You'd still, you'd still need something. And then that brings the problem back into the room, doesn't it? Because you've got a box around your subwoofer driver. It does. So the solution, which is only a, a quasi-solution, mm. would be to get a bigger panel, like step up in the magnet. Yep. In a range or mm -hmm. in the Emerald Physical Spatial Audio range, mm -hmm. get just a bigger panel. And in with spatial, you might eventually get to like dual 12 inch or dual 15 inch woofers in a baffle. Mm -hmm. And now you will be good down to 35 hertz. Right. And you will still have output below that. It may no longer be completely full, but mm. you will still hear sounds below 35. And let's face it, it most music doesn't really go much below 30 hertz. Mm -hmm. I mean, the only thing that goes much lower would be synthesizers. But let's say that a big panel isn't in the picture either. And yes, a, a small panel you could stomach, but you want full range sound. So you add a sub and with the box sub, we're having a problem again. Yep. Is there another solution? And yes, there is. Mm -hmm. Now that's a variation on the bipole, which is called the ripole for the inventor called Alex Rittaler. He had a mm -hmm. patent on it, then he sold it, and then the guy who owned it next let it expire. So like uh, the Oscar Heil air motion transformer, mm -hmm. the patent is gone. Right. So the invention now is basically up for grabs. Anybody yeah. who wants to build or design a Ripoll subwoofer can. And there is companies that have them. And a Ripoll is basically a folded open baffle that is folded in a clever way to make bass even more directional than the figure eight of bipoles. Mm -hmm. So like bipoles, it takes the sidewalls out of the equation. Mm -hmm. Unlike bipoles, it also takes the front wall, not entirely, but nearly out of the equation. Right. So now we have directional bass without okay. any room treatments, and without any DSP, just as a function of a clever dispersion pattern, whereby two woofers face each other very, very closely. The gap may only be about a hand's width. Yep. And the sound that's created between them comes at the listener through a slot uh -huh. in the front of the subwoofer. Yeah. And the sound of the rear waves of each driver come out to through through two slots in the rear. 
So it's a box that is mm -hmm. not enclosed. It's just folded in a clever way. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a designer in Berlin, in your city, that makes Ripole subwoofers, which is Voxative. Yeah, yeah. And yes, the Voxative are finished in piano glass lacquer, so they are not cheap. Right. But there's another fellow in Germany who worked with Alex Ritala, the inventor, mm -hmm. and he makes a subwoofer called the Music Bass. And the company's called Modal Acoustic. Uh-huh. And that is a dual 10-inch subwoofer made out of plexiglass. Okay. So it's semi-transparent, and it can be had in either black or white. And it's actually very attractive, and it's much smaller than you would think. Because the Ripole principle is predicated upon the smallest possible, quote-unquote, enclosure. Mm -hmm. So actually, the magnets of each driver are sitting partially in the outer wall. That's how small the thing is. Because when you do that, you lower the resonant frequency of the driver. So it plays lower than it mm -hmm. would in a box. Right. Now, what you don't get with Ripole Base, you don't get room gain. Which means that you need bigger drivers or harder working drivers to make up for the fact that you don't hear any reflections. Right, right. But what you now have is you now have the cleanliness of sound that you get in headphones, where from the highest highs to the lowest low, texturally, there's no discontinuity. Mm. Whereas the moment you go to the, your average loudspeaker, as you go down in frequency, everything starts to get a little bit more wooly. Mm -hmm. If we are nice, we say it's bloom. <laughs> if, we are, if we are not so nice, we take the L out and we call it boom. Right. <laughs> and if we're even worse, we just call it a mess. And depending on the room and how loud you play, it is a little bit messy, but we're used to it. So most mm. of us no longer hear it. Now, I recently bought a dual 15-inch Ripole subwoofer, which sits in my big system. Mm -hmm. And I tell you that before and after difference is unbelievable. Huh. In fact, it is so good that... I cross the subwoofer in at 80 hertz, which goes counter to everything that I previously thought I prefer. With box subwoofers that I had before, like the Dynaudio upstairs and the big zoo submission mm -hmm. in the living room, I've always preferred the lowest possible crossover. So let the main speakers go as low as they want to go and then bring in the sub. So 40 hertz is usually where I brought it in because that's where my main speakers were good to. Mm -hmm. But because this Ripole subwoofer takes the room boom, the room reflections out of the equation so effectively, I actually benefit if I let that happen up to 80 hertz. So in your room with the 35 and the 70, 80 hertz room mode, which is similar mm -hmm. to mine, yeah. now both of those room modes are gone. They just disappear, poof. Because you've got the Ripole sub and it's not talking to the reflective surfaces that are a standard sub would talk to, right? Correct. And now I no longer have this overhang. The bass now actually stops when it should. Mm -hmm. And I can't go back to box subwoofers now. But it is a very different sound, which is why in my review, I actually reproduced that famous January 1991 stereophile front cover, which said, if either of these amps is right, the other one must be wrong. 
and they showed that like a carry 845 mm-hmm. single ended triode amplifier and the Krell muscle amp. Completely different sound, completely different principles. Yep. And that's the same with like box bass and ripole bass. They are that different. Right. And unfortunately, because ripole used to be protected under a patent, nobody except the original inventor has offered a ripole subwoofer. Now that the patent has gone away, we have a few. Sound Chaos from Switzerland would be another one. Mm-hmm. But it's between Sound Chaos and Voxative and um, Modal Acoustic. That's only three options. So it's a very, very obscure solution, which is why I like to talk about it now, so that right. our listeners can at least do some research and realize, okay, there is a solution we didn't know about. Yes, yes. I guess right now it's still a fairly niche solution if you've got a choice of three manufacturers it's very niche i mean yeah but i guess we also should talk about crossing over yes right crossing over from into the great beyond (laughs) yes from yeah from our two-way stand mounts to our sub because i mean as i said earlier on it's not it's not particularly easy but there are external crossover solutions that can help us do that, right? And there are tangible benefits to doing that as well. You know, outsourcing your crossover electronically to another device. Yes. So let's let's just uh, invoke your average three-way loudspeaker to mm-hmm. just explain what the high and the low pass is. So you've got mm-hmm. a tweeter, mm-hmm. you've got a mid-range, and you've got a woofer. And between the tweeter and the mid-range sits a crossover, and between the mid-range and the woofer sits a crossover. And the crossover has two legs. It has a low pass, which is that which lets the lows pass. Mm-hmm. And it has a high pass, which is that which lets the highs pass. Mm-hmm. So the mid-range driver has two crossovers. It has one on the top, where it hands over to the tweeter. And it has one at the bottom, where it hands over to the woofer. Mm-hmm. Which means that any bass that your amplifier is now sending to the speaker doesn't show up at the tweeter because it would actually burn the tweeter if it had to see bass signal, but it also doesn't show up at the mid-range driver. Mm -hmm. That mid-range driver is not trying to do bass that it can't because it's all handled by the woofer. But we're still talking about passive filters. And we're talking Mm -hmm. about parts that are inserted between the amplifier and the voice call of the speaker. So the amplifier signal has to work its way through the crossover. Mm -hmm. They tend to be reactive parts, and they tend to be energy-absorbing. Right, yes. So if we have a two-way, and we add a subwoofer, we can add it in such a way that essentially we make a three-way out of our Mm two-way. Right. We add a high-pass filter in front of the mid-range driver of the speaker. So now that mid-range driver no longer sees any bass signal whatsoever. It just doesn't see it, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what are the benefits? The benefits are that the speaker is no longer having to make big excursions because the bass signal is gone. Mm -hmm. Less excursion means less distortion. And because the bass signal is no longer presenting at the midwoofer's voice coil, the voice coil doesn't heat up with bass signal. Mm-hmm. And now there's an inverse square relationship between voice call heat and voice call impedance. Mm-hmm. As the voice call heat rises, 
the impedance rises. As impedance rises, resistance increases. So as, mm -hmm. as you're trying to put signal into that driver, not the same amount of signal comes out of the driver. It gets strangulated. It gets throttled. That's called dynamic compression. Mm -hmm. And incidentally, that explains why a lot of stereo systems don't sound as good two or three hours into a session as they sounded in the first half hour or hour. Because oh. the longer you play, and usually we get a little bit fatigued, so we mm -hmm. turn the volume up to compensate. So slowly, slowly, we keep playing louder and louder, like they used to do in the movie theaters. With mm -hmm. you know, in your blockbuster movie, in the second hour, things got painfully loud. But as you play the system louder, dynamic compression kicks in more and more because there's mm -hmm. more and more heat on the voice calls that are not allowed to cool back down. So, to get away from all the technical explanations and just talk about benefits, if you take the bass away from a two-way speaker, that mid-range driver which goes all the way from, let's say, 50 hertz to 2 kilohertz, where it mm. meets the tweeter. That mid-range now is working a lot freer. Mm. So that entire bandwidth now, it's more dynamic and it's less distorted because there's fewer big excursions going on. So you improve the sound of your speaker by adding a subwoofer and putting a high-pass filter in front of your speaker Mm -hmm. And you're also making the amplifier that is driving your speaker work less. Because that amplifier now also no longer is seeing any bass. Mm -hmm. It's not trying to do any bass. So suddenly the amplifier can be smaller, less powerful, because what sucks up all the power is the bass. We're no longer doing that. And because it can be smaller, less powerful, most likely it can be cheaper. Or if you still want to spend big amplifier money, you can now get a more sophisticated, better sounding mains amplifier. Mm. So now we have to ask, okay, mm. well, that all sounds very good, but how do we actually generate this high pass filter that you guys are talking about? Where is, mm. where can I get such a thing? My preamp doesn't have it. Mm. And that's the problem. Because if we go to home theater, and we go to the so-called pre-pros, the preamp processors, mm -hmm. they build in what's called smart bass management. Mm -hmm. They have everything we need, high pass, low pass, adjustable filter frequencies, time delays, all taken care of. But if we go into our two-channel space, and the more upscale we go, the snootier our preamps get, the more features they take away. They take away <laughs> tone controls, they yep. take away remote control, and they certainly don't put in a high-pass filter. So how do we get our high-pass filter? Well, you have found at least three components of late mm -hmm. that had it built in. And I believe it was a Blue Sound integrated or, or network integrated, a yep. Lindorf, and yep. I believe an NAD, right? I think it does exist in the NAD um, because it uses the Blue Sound module. So okay. where, where generally, wherever you, generally, but not always, whenever you see a Blue Sound streaming module, inside that will be a base management system that allows you to, to well, you just have to specify that you've got a subwoofer attached, and right. it automatically applies a, a high pass to the mains and a low pass to the sub at what, whichever crossover point you specify. And that's, gen, I mean, that's why I really love the Blue Sound Power Node. It's a streaming amplifier. It's very small. It isn't the best sounding 
$6,000 amplifier out there. I actually think the AudioLab 6000A Play, actually, which I've been covering recently, I think that's a better sounding amplifier, but only if you're not adding a subwoofer. Because if you're adding a sub, you want to get those high pass and low pass filters in place. The Audio Lab doesn't do it, the Blue Sound does, and therefore yeah, the Blue Sound isn't quite as punchy as the Audio Lab. And I, I, I don't think that matters once you add the sub into the bottom and you have it handling the crossover for you in the digital domain. Let me interject something there that you just brought up. Mm. And that is that if you do the subwoofer integration with a low and a high pass, you are now at liberty to decide where you set the low and the high pass. Yes. You can set it at, if your speaker is good to 40, you, you start at 40 and you can go up to 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, and mm -hmm. you decide where it sounds the best. Yep. If you don't have a high pass, you only have one proper low pass option mm -hmm. choice. The one that happens to meet where your main speaker rolls out naturally. If it rolls out at 45, then the low pass should be more or less at 40 at 45. Mm -hmm. You can't set it at 80. The moment you add the high pass, you also add flexibility, which means that if you have a small speaker, like let's say a five and a quarter inch two-way, mm -hmm. that actually does go down to 50 hertz because mm -hmm. it's a forced alignment with a port. But really, it's forced. The speaker would be much happier if it only had to play to 80 or 90. Mm. Well, if you only use a low pass, you must set the low pass at 50 or you have too much overlap. Yep. If you use a low pass and a high pass, you may decide that you want to set those at 80 or maybe even at 90 or at 100. I think another benefit, and I'm, I'm guessing here, I don't know for sure, but I would assume, let's say you're using the Blue Sound Power Node to integrate your sub and it's right. high passing the mains, low passing the sub, I would think that because it's all done in the digital domain, those crossover slopes can be matched pretty much exactly. They don't have to be of a different order or a different type, like Linkwitz Riley or Butterworth or second or fourth or sixth order. The Blue Sound coders will have made sure that it just sort of meshes nicely and crosses over, presumably, at the right point and elegantly without too much overlap or without a hole in the middle. Absolutely correct. You can't really do that as easily with augmentation mode, right? Where you yeah. have your mains running f full as full range as they can, not high pass, and your sub, you just have to bring it in into the bottom. But what if the crossover, as you've said earlier, what if the crossover filter on the sub is of a different type and a different order to that in your mains? Then you, it becomes harder to, to mesh the two together, doesn't it? Correct. So right. if you if you do a high and a low pass filter and they are both the same slope mm. and the same type, you're not only assured a really smooth blend in the amplitude domain, mm. but you also have the most phase consistent right. handover. So you don't even have to worry about you just set the subwoofer phase to zero. And yeah. you're done. Nothing else needs it. That's the most surgical way to do it. Yes, and the easiest. It's the easiest. <laughs> I mean, because you don't have to really. I mean, apart from, I mean, apart from sub gain, which you do have to still tweak, because oh no, hang on. 
Oh, yes, you do. Yeah, you do have to yeah, still but tweak don't, that. Don't, but yeah. rephrase it. Instead of saying you still have to tweak, you should say you still can tweak because it's actually a benefit. It's not anything bad. It's a benefit that you can adjust the base to your liking and that you can actually adjust it depending on the time of day, the type of music you play, whether you want to be a little bit, bit bass heavier or you want to take mercy on your neighbors and <laughs> make the bass fight, you make the bass less. Yeah, but I think I see it as a blessing and a curse because if you want to get it so it crosses over just right, you can drive yourself to distraction getting up and up and down, you know, out of your seat, turning up a bit, sit down again, have a listen. No, that's too much. Get up, turn it, you know, turn it the other way. It can be for obsessive compulsives, and I have my moments with that. It can be quite a distraction. So with, you know, as I said earlier on, with 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 flexibility comes potentially neurosis. great yeah neurosis <laughs> and greater frustrations but because you don't want it to be too boomy and if you do have room modes you don't want to trigger those so i, th I would think that a lot of people will err on the side of caution and, and dial it down too low either because they they can hear the modes coming in as they turn it up or because they just they just don't like it that high i mean maybe i'm one of those people but i, I guess that's why I like the Lingdorf, because it has the room compensation built in. So it will read everything coming out and set the gain for you on the sub. You can tweak it afterwards, of course. And you can tweak the crossover types and their orders. And also you can delay the mains. I mean, it's a wonderful bit of kit. And that's another example where an ordinary, fairly low-powered loudspeaker output sort of dissolves once you add a sub because you don't have to worry about it too much because you've got your mains high passed by the DSP inside. So you don't need that big muscle amp power anymore or right. as much as you did previously. So now let's talk benefits, audible benefits of having more bass through a subwoofer mm -hmm. than you had with just your monitor main speakers. Why would you want to add more bass? Well, to me, and I think you agree, probably the number one benefit is more listening satisfaction at really low volumes. Absolutely, I agree. Yes, yes. You know, usually at low volumes, I call it sort of winter is coming. Everything pales and whites mm -hmm. out. Yeah. And it flattens out, and you just it's just not fun. And you feel mm -hmm. like, okay, I need to turn the volume up for the curtains to lift and for things to sort of show up and fall. Too much has fallen away. Mm. Well, if a subwoofer's in, in play, that delays. I can listen a whole lot lower before that urge comes in again. Okay, it's too quiet. Something has fallen away. So that's a huge benefit. Because being able to listen at lower volumes means you can do more of it. You can listen longer because listening fatigue doesn't kick in. And you don't upset neighbors or people that live with you. Because the sound no longer bleeds out next door as bad as it did before. The second benefit, which is related, I believe, is that if we talk in terms of tone colors, like the color spectrum, I always think of the tweeter, the treble energy, as being white. Mm -hmm. It adds more white. And so things get brighter and crisper and clearer. And bass, to me, always is black. It adds more black. And just as when you take a pale photograph, let's say a black and white photograph in Photoshop, and you dial mm. up the black values, not too much, because if you do it too much, everything gets murky. 
Mm-hmm. But if you dial up the black values just a little bit, everything gets more intense. So the tone colors, the tone saturation gets mm-hmm. more intense when there's more bass. And the other thing that I notice, and that is strange, but everybody I've ever talked to agrees, is that the sense of space, like the the believability factor of a recorded venue other than our own room, mm. if the recording has it, yeah. becomes much more acute. And for some reason, there seem to be maybe very low-level, low-frequency signals on recordings that give our body-mind some data about the size of the room that the recording was done in. And it doesn't matter whether it was done really in a big room mm-hmm. or whether this reverb was added later on to sort of fake up a bigger space. Yeah. It doesn't matter. The effect is still the same, that the realism of music occurring in audible space is more intense than without the bass. And obviously, you also hear more bass. And especially if it's electronic music like you and I like, I think we like different styles of electronic music. But mm. electronic music can have bass that goes all the way down to 20, where you no longer really f- hear it as much as you feel it. And you don't know what you don't know until you do. So you may be perfectly happy with your system, and then one day you add a subwoofer and you implement it properly, mm-hmm. and you start hearing things that you didn't hear before. And now when you take the subwoofer away again, I guarantee you would not want to live without it. Because suddenly those things that you didn't have before, they become important. And they actually become more important than worrying about buying a new DAC or messing about with like digital filter settings or getting a new footer or some new cable. They all make differences, small differences, slightly bigger differences. But the difference that a properly implemented subwoofer makes that is much, much higher. I would actually rate it after, okay, the room is the most important, but most of mm-hmm. us are stuck with the room we have. Mm-hmm. So the next the next important thing is the, uh, the speaker, because mm-hmm. the speaker is literally playing the room. Mm-hmm. And then the thing that drives the speaker is the amplifier. So that must be the next important thing. But then mm-hmm. after the amplifier, to me, comes the subwoofer. And that's that's sort of like a trinity, right? It's the speaker yes. and the subwoofer uh-huh. and the amp. They're a trinity. And if from the get-go we decide to go this route, we, let's call it stereo 2.1, two mm-hmm. speakers plus one subwoofer, then we don't have to buy more speakers than we actually need because usually all you buy more with speakers is more bass and more loudness. So I can keep the speakers small and mm-hmm. physically more attractive. And that means I can actually put it where it sounds the best, which may be further out in the room. It's no longer as big of a visual distraction. I can keep the amplifier that drives my main speaker smaller, less powerful. That Mm -hmm. means it also can be cheaper. And I can now get a subwoofer that completes the system, but with an active crossover in it. Mm. The other thing that we didn't talk about earlier is that a thing that a subwoofer adds is what I call a beast mode driver. If you look at your average two-way monitor, the midwoofer has to meet the tweeter. Mm-hmm. So it can't be a driver that is optimized to just do bass. But now right. let's, if we take 
a Velodyne subwoofer, for example, or an SVS or a JL mm. Audio, and we take the woofer out of the box, one look at that woofer, it looks completely different than an audiophile midwoofer. Mm. Much bigger surround, much bigger magnet, thicker, heavier cone. It's a driver that you would never be able to take up to meet a tweeter at two kilohertz. Right. It's only made to do bass. But at that job of doing bass, it is much better, much more qualified than your average mid-woofer that will be in a two-way speaker. Even mm -hmm. an eight-inch woofer in a three-way speaker still isn't a, usually a beast mode subwoofer that is just mm. made to do bass. And the other thing is now that the amplifier that does our bass inside the subwoofer can also be a beast mode amplifier. It can be a cheap but very high power, very low impedance, high current class D amplifier, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which costs very little money, and it might be a thousand watts. Mm. Now, that amplifier may not necessarily be our favorite amplifier if it had to drive the whole system. We may not like what it does in the treble. We may find the mid-range a little bit glary or dry or forward or whatever. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Now we have specialized gear that does the bass, and it does what it, that's what it's best at, and we get a sort of sophisticated sound, small-powered mains amplifier to drive our speakers. So it's a win all around. But we still need to talk about that if we don't have the blue sound or we don't have the Lingdorf, mm -hmm. and let's say we have a name an amplifier that you like or an integrated that doesn't have smart bass management built in. Uh, the one I use most often here probably is one of the Hegels. So okay. either the 390 or the 590, but they don't have bass management okay. built in. So let's say you have a Hegel. And let's say that you want to do what we just talked about, which is integrate a subwoofer with a high pass. How do you do it? Well, I've looked at this extensively, and unfortunately, in the high-end audio market, outboard crossovers are not very plentiful. Mm. And they tend to get very expensive very quickly, like from SPL audio or Wilson audio, we're talking $3,000 or more. Mm. But there is one from a company called Sublime Acoustics. Mm -hmm. It's called the K231. It's an American company. It's a little box. It's $500. Mm -hmm. And this works with filter cards. They look pretty much like a credit card. Mm -hmm. And they plug into a header. And they're specified for one frequency. So if you want your high and your low pass to be at 50, that's what you specify when you order it. But if you also want to experiment with 60 and 70 and 80 and 90 hertz, mm. you buy additional filter cards for, I believe, $20. Huh. And all you do is you open four screws on the top of the box. It opens up that slot that the filter card goes in, and you just play around. And mm. you see what sounds best to you in the seat. Mm -hmm. So now what happens is that you use your source, your source signal, from yeah. out of your CD player or streamer. Yep, yep. Streamer. That source signal goes into this box. Mm -hmm. Then the high pass signal goes into your Hegel. Right. And the yes. low pass signal goes into your amp into your subwoofer. Mm -hmm. Done. But some subwoofers build this in, don't they? 
some 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 suburbs like for example my dyn audio it builds in a high and a low pass on both rca and xlr right so now you don't have to buy the external box yeah but now you're sort of quote unquote held hostage by the quality of the filter that's built into a $1,400 subwoofer. Mm. And what that filter may or may not be doing to the signal that ends up at your main speakers. It's, I'm not giving it any good or bad. I'm just saying that you're basically limited to the quality of the built-in crossover. And it may be all you want or all you need. Well, that's it, isn't it? Because it gives you... When you've got that inside your sub, it gives you the opportunity to try it out to see, in principle, what a high pass and low pass split can do for you. Exactly. But you still, I, I think I ran into a bit of a with the Hegel actually when I was when I first got the Kef. There's obviously no subwoofer out on the back of the Hegel amp, so you have to use the preamp outputs on the back of the Hegel, mm -hmm. and they go into the back of the Kef. Right now, if you want to come out of the Kef's inbuilt filter system, then you have to go back into the Hegel. But where do you go? Right, because no, there isn't another. There isn't another input. There's no. I think it's where home theater bypass comes in, right? Where you have a power amplifier in, so you can return the signal back to the Hegel, and then it goes out to the speakers, and then the sub keeps what it needs. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So and that's that's how I would have to do it with my Dyn Audio, right? I you know the the signal from my preamplifier would go into the Dyn Audio, yeah, and then out of the Dyn Audio would come a cable into my main amplifier, right? And that that signal to the main amplifier would have gone through the high pass filter inside the Dyn Audio, and would have been stripped of its base, yep. So, so it works well if you've got a separate preamp, separate power amp. That's much easier to do than if you've got an integrated, because you do, unless you've got a home theater bypass on your integrated, some do, right. some don't. Or you have a pre-out and main in, which some, pre yes. some integrated have. Not many anymore, but that is a feature. I'm going to take the opportunity to talk about balanced force subwoofers, which is what you and I have. And all that basically means is that you have two drivers on a subwoofer facing in opposite directions, mm -hmm. and their physical force put into the cabinet cancels each other out. You have two equal but opposing forces that null each other out. So you have a quieter box. By having mm -hmm. two drivers on it, but then having, let's say, a front firing sub with just one driver. So I would mm -hmm. always recommend to go for like a Dynaudio or a Kev sub that has two drivers. I think you, you currently have in-house a, a Golden Ear that has two active drivers, and then it has two passive radiators on top and the bottom. Oh, as far as I know, it, only ha it has a front-facing driver and then a downward-firing passive radiator. Uh, because they have one that has, I think, four altogether. They call that their passive, uh, their balanced array. Yeah, maybe they do, but this is the force field three that I have oh, okay. right now. So it's the, it's the smallest sub they make. It looks like a small dog. Yeah, it's <laughs> a, it, it really does. It looks like, um, yeah, it's just a small dog. So, it's, yeah, it's basically a front-firing 
and then a downward firing passive radiator. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know much about the higher end offerings that Goldnir make because I said, look, send me the small one because small subs for me fit are a better acoustic and aesthetic fit for this space. Yeah. I don't, I have tried a, I do have a Velodyne in my cellar and it's a honking great thing. And even at very low levels, it's still way too much. Like it's just, it, I feel overwhelmed physically and sonically. And I'm not saying it's terrible. I'm just saying it's not the right fit for this, this room or right. for my personal taste. That brings me to another thing that I recently found out about. And mm -hmm. that is that I got to review a pair of Grim Audio subwoofers. Mm -hmm. Now that is a 10 inch driver in the smallest possible box. And it's meant to be rotated such that the driver faces at the ceiling. And it's a okay. very shallow box because originally that woofer was going between the legs of their monitor. So their two-way monitor became a three-way. You just sort of stuck that woofer between the legs of the monitor and you were done. Well, you can also buy that subwoofer separately. So they sent me mm -hmm. two to review. And I duly walked them upstairs into my smaller system. Being upstairs means obviously a suspended floor. And mm -hmm. I set them up as designed, firing up at the ceiling. It was a complete disaster because the subwoofer coupled to the suspended floor, because uh. imagine that drivers facing the ceiling, the rear wave of the driver, like a jackhammer, was pounding into the floor. The floor being a suspended wooden floor responded, amplified the subwoofer, but obviously delayed in time. So it was like you heard the from the sub, and then right after that, you heard another boom that, that came just a split second too late. And outside mm -hmm. of the room, that got even noisier. So my wife on the other side of the upper floor, she immediately came across and said, what the hell did you just do? Turn this down. It was terrible. So then what I did, I just turned the subwoofer upside down. I turned it so that the driver now was facing the sidewall. So the, woofer, the, the cabinet sat on its narrow edge. Mm -hmm. And just doing that already eliminated a lot of the coupling. And then I set the woofer on ball-bearing decoupling footers, and that completely eliminated any mechanical coupling. Now, when I got this big dual 15-inch ripole subwoofer for the ground floor, that now sits on a, on a concrete slab, but it's still, there's still a subfloor, with a wooden floor on top. And I immediately set that down on the stock footers, which were just sort of turned aluminum footers. And I could feel in my feet, with each bass beat, I could, through the soles of my feet, I could feel this little echo. And to my ears, it felt like there were little knots in the fabric, and they were also slightly delayed in time. And I realized, okay, I have, again, I have physical coupling, and I have to like disrupt the subwoofer talking to my floor. In went a set of four ball-bearing isolators. They probably cut about 80%. Mm -hmm. And then I was shipped these carbide audio, really big footers that add to the ball-bearing uh, viscoelastics. And the viscoelastics are sort of a rubbery material that compresses when you push on it. It's exactly what they use on the CNC routers in, in industrial machine parks. Because CNC routers and big saws are very noisy. Mm. And if on top of the noise they make by themselves, they now sink all of that vibration into a foundation that travels next door, 
that amplifies the noise. So it's very common in those applications to use viscoelastics. Well, now I had roller bearings and viscoelastics underneath the subwoofer, and that completely took care of it. Oh. And so we talked about room gain, which is acoustic, mm -hmm. and it's always delayed in time, but there's also mechanical coupling that's also delayed in time. And if you have a subwoofer, the bigger the subwoofer gets, the lower it goes, and the louder you play it, the higher the chances are that you have some of that mechanical coupling that you want to avoid. And then it becomes important to think about what you put that subwoofer onto. And I took a look online and I found, I think a company that you know, it's called Isoacoustics. Mm -hmm. And they make a subwoofer stand that is called the Aperto Sub Isolator. Okay, yep. And it's good for up to 36 kilos. So it should handle all the microsubs that are out there or very close to. See, you, you, you've really nailed it there because that's the, one of the key weaknesses of the KC62 from Kef. It's got a flat bottom. It's rubberized, but it's a flat bottom. So you put it directly on the floor. So if you've got a suspended floor, like if you've got those kind of creaky outbow <laughs> old building floorboards, you're going to introduce a lot of mechanical vibration. Whereas the Golden Ear sits on, I think that, I would call them sorbethane feet, but they might, they might not be sorbethane, so I don't want to be selling anybody short, but they're rubbery. And you can push the sub backwards and forwards. You can feel it move a little bit mm -hmm. and sideways in either direction, so there's less coupling going on there. So this is an important thing that I've only just sort of kind of got my head around from personal experience that, you know, it's very easy to kind of think, well, okay, this sub has dual opposing drivers therefore it must be the best but if you've got you know a suspended wooden floor that might not be the case and you might need something like the force well a golden ear with those sorbethane feet or like you say put your calf on a on a platform but that adds more expense because i'm sure that platform is going to be at least at least 500 bucks maybe more could be yeah because i've got a couple of their um zazen amplifier platforms and they're 200 300 euros 400 euros so yeah the it's gonna the expense is gonna pile up pretty quickly if you're trying to tackle that problem i mean i'm lucky here i've got wood on top of concrete with the floor and i have nobody but offices below me so they can all go to hell in the evening i don't know nobody's ever complained it's not in five years right. but i think but, now we covered uh, a number of points that we should probably reiterate just to make sure that uh, we leave the listeners with a little bit of a roadmap. Mm. We've, uh, we've covered that you and I have experience, the best experience with subwoofer integration using a high-pass filter. Correct. That high-pass filter could either be inside a DAC. Belcanto, for example, does that, or Total yeah. DAC do. It could yeah. be inside something like a Blue Sound or a Lingdorf mm -hmm. network player or an NAD. Or it could be an outboard box like that little Sublime Acoustics for 500 I talked about. Or it could be in the subwoofer itself. Or it could be in the subwoofer itself, yeah. like in the KEF or like in my Dynaudio. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've talked about the likelihood that you may need to set the subwoofer on some kind of sort of rubbery, squishy decoupling material mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. the subwoofer doesn't talk to your floor. Yep. 
because otherwise the floor turns sort of like into a into the soundboard of a piano and the subwoofer becomes the exciter yep and we don't want the floor to do that we just nope. want to hear the, the bass that is actually on the recording not the bass yeah. that our room makes yeah um we've talked about that can i recap on one thing Am I allowed to? Do you want me to wait? <laughs> uh, well, there was one. There was one extra thing I meant to say, and so we have mentioned the the potential problems that you're creating by now riding on certain room modes that you never heard mm -hmm. before, mm -hmm. and by stirring up more mud in the room because your room just has so many reflections in the low end. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about that you can accuse some of that in the time domain. You will have to use room treatments and to actually work in the base they're going to have to be really big or you have to use ripole subwoofers which are very rare and not cheap mm. or you have to use really big panel speakers that go low enough in the base mm. which will also not be cheap and they may be too big for your liking but there's one more thing that we haven't mentioned which is active room traps oh yes yes we should talk about room compensation software as well because We'll I'll, come I'll, back let, to you, I'll okay. let you handle that because okay, it's where okay. you have the experience. Mm. But those active bass traps are by a Swiss company called PSI Audio. Mm -hmm. And the website is psiaudio.swiss. Yes. Unfortunately, these little suckers are 2,000 euros each. They are not cheap, but they're not big. And they're sort of anti-subwoofers in that what's right. inside of them it's a cavity, a microphone, a small buffer, and um, some kind of a, a, a grill. And mm -hmm. basically what they do is they create a hole in the wall. They behave as though if you put that in the corner, there was a door or a window in that corner that you just opened. And huh. rather for the pressure to build up and reflect back into the room, it goes right out, never to be seen again. Now, this is an active device. It plugs in and it can be turned off. So unlike room treatment that you would have to physically remove, you can turn mm -hmm. the thing on and off to see how yeah. it works. And it's a, they claim it's about eight to 10 times more effective than equivalent passive room treatment. That would have to be much, much bigger to do the same job that this one does between 15 and 150 hertz. It covers that entire spectrum. And they say that in an average size room, you may need two. So unfortunately, right. now we're at 4,000 euros. Right. However, they are smaller than the three triangular base traps that you have installed by, what are they called? Visoacoustics? Vicoustic. Vicoustics. Yeah. And they are probably more effective. For the Vicoustics to become as effective, they would have to get a lot bigger. So for those people that have money <laughs> yes, <laughs> to spend and that want to sort of take the quality of their room sound as high as possible, that would be a good thing to look at, these um, PSI Audio active bass traps. And now over to you for DSP-based room correction before we do that i mean i have looked at those psi recently and i think they would be a good fit for someone like me because i don't have a large space i live in an apartment what i don't know is i mean obviously i would like to try it i mean you can buy them from torman and torman give you 
30-day trial period for any purchase. So it might be worth taking a punt. And they're not that large, are they? They're about the size of a 10-inch Velodyne sub. I guess, I mean, I would need to put one in the front left and one in the rear right. But who knows, would I need four? So two in each diagonally opposite corners? That's eight grand. <laughs> That's a lot of money. But it's still way less physically intrusive than the GIK Acoustics passive treatments that are actually now sitting in my bedroom and I've got to I've got to either give them to somebody or sell them for like a token amount just to get them out of there. Anyway, sorry, yes. Yeah, so a lot of people ask, well, John, like all this sort of room treatment you have or you know, the stuff that you're talking about, can't I just do it with something like Dirac or the or the Lingdorf Room Perfect software? So basically room correction software. Can I correct all of my problems with room compensation software? And the answer is no. It's a, it's a blunt answer, but it's it's and I've I've kind of arrived at this. So when when I was readying this room for the Vicoustic install, I had to take all the furniture out. But just before I kind of turned in for the night, kind of sound like an old man saying that, just before I went to bed the, the night before Vicoustic came, I did leave a couple of loudspeakers, a sub, and the Lingdorf Room Perfect amplifier in here. I did a Room Perfect reading and a correction. And even though it does compensate a little bit for some of the bass problems, it pulls them down a bit, it does nothing for the reverb of the room. Because once the sound is out of the speaker, obviously the Lingdorf can't control it any longer. It's bouncing around and then it reaches its natural decay point. So it might be, I don't know, 500 milliseconds. It might be longer. It might be shorter for different frequencies. So the problem is, is even if you have a room mode, let's say I've got a room mode at 70 hertz. Yeah, I can pull it down. But if there's reverberation associated with that frequency, uh, in my experience, the Lingdorf can't deal with it. So which is why I kind of, I'm so impressed with what the passive treatment here the you know the, the vicoustic passive treatment here is done for the sound of my room because it does things that the room correction software cannot possibly do as mm -hmm. far as i can tell um and it's the same with dirac i mean i like that as well but i guess the so those kinds of software compensation systems are very good at the low sorry better at the low end compensation for dealing with the bass because high frequency reverb forget it you're never going to get software that's going to have a filter, I think, that would be long enough to deal with that. And I don't know, even know how much computational power you would need. But as I've said before, once the sound is out of the speaker, it's on its own. Like the room is doing things, right? In my mind, I would just talk about amplitude and time domain. Amplitude mm. would be the frequency, the frequency response, which yes. is where DSP comes in yes. and sort of nullify certain peaks and it can try to fill in certain troughs to make the whole response more linear. So we're talking about amplitude response. Mm. But the reverb in your room is the time domain. Yes, it is. Yeah. And I don't believe that that time domain can be influenced or, or improved in the digital domain. I think it needs to be either passive room treatments. Yes. I don't know whether something like this um, Swiss active bass trap, yeah. whether that concept would actually work above the bass. They haven't done it, so maybe it doesn't work. The other thing would be to use um, open baffled speakers. 
that have mm. some cancellation on the sides. Mm -hmm. So they, they invoke less room reflections. It's not a perfect solution. It's a halfway solution. It's halfway in between no room treatments at all and, uh, and a full set of room treatments like you have. Mm. I was actually deliberately avoiding the time domain um, terminology because I didn't want to say, you know, Lingdorf Room Perfect doesn't do time domain correction because I might get an email from Roland who works there going, well, actually, it does this bit over here. So I was trying to talk more about it in the general, more abstract sense. So it wasn't pigeonholing myself into sort of a, but an actually, incorrect conclusion. But if we made a mistake just now, that would be great because then he could correct it and we would all learn something. Yes, that is true. Um, but yeah, I guess we yeah we could we could learn from from Lingdorf or, or Dirac. I mean, maybe they do do some time domain correction. But I'm my experience doesn't really jive with that. There's another thing that I meant to mention, which is a cheap trick that mm. works really well, and that is that in my current downstairs room, my chair is facing a door. The room has two doors, one on either mm -hmm. one on the front wall, one on the rear wall. And I'm sitting with my chair basically touching the rear wall, but the door behind the seat is open. Mm -hmm. Now, when we talked about the Swiss active bass traps, their own marketing guy was calling him, they make a hole in the wall. That's the mm -hmm. best way to describe it in layman's term. Well, mm -hmm. opening a door behind the seat is making a hole in a wall. So what that, what that means mm. is that the base that I'm generating in the room now has an exit. It goes right out the door, into the hallway, into other rooms. It's not reflecting right behind my head. So it depressurizes the room. And it allows me to have better base with less overhang and with less pressure effects than if I close that door. It's a completely free, cheap trick. That's good for people to know that when they first move into a house and decide which room the sound is going to go into, mm -hmm. and if they have some flexibility about how they will orient the system, if there's a door behind them, if at least for listening seriously, they can leave that open, that is actually beneficial, especially when you add a subwoofer that involves these really long wavelengths that want to reflect off everything. Mm. So I have a door behind me here. So behind my couch is the door to my kitchen, and it's always open for the reasons that you've just um, mentioned. However, there is a downside because, because it's a kitchen, it's highly reflective. So there's a lot of reverb in that room. Um, but I tend to see that, the, you know, that being less of a problem than the pressure building up in the room, the low frequency pressure building up with the door closed. So it's the lesser of two evils to have the door open and just endure a little bit of the kitchen's reverb. Mm -hmm. I wanted to come back to what you said earlier about order of priorities in terms of putting together a system and the room is the most important, speakers the most, second most important. See, I've pegged now the subwoofer as the third, to me, third most important. And you talked about the Holy Trinity, which was really the, the basis of my best of 2021 video with the Zoos, the Kef sub and the Blue Sound power node streaming amplifier with the filter crossover filter built in and what that has meant to me i mean i, I last year was my first year really digging into subs and it has fundamentally transformed the way i see these priorities and which is why the sub is now maybe 
tertiary, you know, the tertiary component, so room, speakers, subwoofer, then amplifier. And it is, I won't say, I'm not less interested in DACs, but given my time constraints, it means that I'm going to do, I'm going to recover fewer DACs going forward because they have far less of an impact on what I hear than the room, the speakers, the sub, and the amp, mm -hmm. right? So I, I will probably do more subs than I will DACs or streamers. Now, that's not to say that DACs and streamers don't have an impact on sound quality. Of course they do. But if I'm to allocate my limited time to what makes the most difference or what would make the diff most difference for most people watching or listening or reading what I do, then it, I think for me, subs are going to have more of a, a prominent place in my coverage than, you know, than DAX. You know, I used to be known as the, you know, the DAC guy and I'd, I'm probably not going to be that guy anymore, which is a big thing to say probably. I don't know, but I don't know. And, and I find it interesting in that the high-end audio press at large, to this day still, more or less overlooks subwoofers. There's some writers here and there that don't, but overall, subwoofers are still relegated as sort of these boom boom doof doof machines that are okay for home theater but for serious mm. music listeners you know you're much better off that is what is being said to just get mm. a big full range loudspeaker and i think that is part of why the audiophile manufacturers have not really given us more solutions to implement proper flexible crossovers there's a few mm. we've mentioned them but they're really few and far between Yes, and if are, you add yeah. if you add the demand of remote control, because mm -hmm. you want to make all of these adjustments from the seat, those three, four, five thousand, even the fifty thousand uh, dollar Magico, that's actually fixed at one frequency. Mm. Now there's hmm. one coming out that I know about. I don't know what the price will be, but it won't be grotesquely priced. Mm. That will add remote control to flexible high and low pass frequencies and even um, boost and gain, all from the seat. Mm. So you can sit in the seat and decide whether 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 hertz transition frequency sounds best to you, how mm. much boost you want in the bass, how much gain you want, all done by remote control. I think that's actually mandatory mm. to really hear those changes. But because the audiophile press at large doesn't like subwoofers for music, the audiophile industry, the manufacturers, I don't think have really seen any need, any demand to sort of step up to the plate and catch up with the home theater crowd, which has very sophisticated solution. And you have seen one quasi like that in the Blue Sound and in the Lindorf, mm -hmm. which are not that much money, but are very sophisticated when it comes yeah. to featureization. Now in home but theater, that's like, that's, the, that's become the standard. In, yeah. in, in, in high-end audio, in two-channel audio, it sounds like we're like the outcast. Oh, subwoofers. Well, that's but you primitive. Think, <laughs> you know? But you think it's... I, see, I would never say that it's the, the, the audiophile press don't like subwoofers because I don't really know. And I used to be... You know, it, it could have been... T two years ago, you could have put me in that group. But really, it's not... It's not maybe an issue of like or dislike. And maybe it's just a, an awareness or an experience thing because once you do experience it, you're like, oh. I mean, for me, it's it's... Over, you know, it's upturned my my the way I look at hi-fi system compilation. So maybe it's just a matter of exposure, you know, to 
get, I don't know, old school journalists or whatever to kind of put a sub down and, you know, mess around with it. Maybe that's what's needed rather than maybe they just haven't, haven't, yeah, they just did. Maybe they're just inexperienced. Yeah. They haven't tried it. It's like saying, I don't like oysters. If you've never, you know, if you've never tried them, how, how do you know? But I, I don't think it is an issue of don't do or don't like. I just think it's a, an awareness thing. Well, because, it's not being covered. And I think that's one of mm. the reasons why we're having this chat is to do, introduce people to the notion that absolutely yeah. of us can be very advantageous and desirable, not just for home theater, but very much so for like, quote unquote, purist, high end, high performance to channel music listening. And that does not necessarily have to be electronic music where everybody knows that there's a lot of very, very low bass mm -hmm. present. It, it works with classical music. It works with girl and guitar music where you think, well, there's no bass there. So the subwoofer shouldn't make any difference. Well, if you have a subwoofer and you can experiment and you turn it off and you turn it back on with music where you think there is no bass, it still makes a difference. That is peculiar. But everybody that I've talked to that has tried it agrees. Nobody can really explain what's going on. But there it is. There's also the issue of punk rock, which I listen to, you know, here and there, in that you think it would have a subwoofer would have no impact. But it really does. It kind of it it makes punk rock easier to listen to because it gives you that foundation. So it's not shouty and shrill, as most mm -hmm. people would kind of imagine punk rock to be. It mellows it a little bit, so it makes it more of a, yeah, more satisfying for a longer term listen. So I can listen to, this is the thing about headphones. I can listen to punk rock much, for much longer behind headphones because I've got the low end. Uh, whereas with just a normal pair of, say, Carefellas 50, no sub, it becomes exhausting after you know a couple of hours. But with a sub in, I can listen for longer. So I think. Yeah, I think you hit on the nail on the head there when you said that this is something that purists should consider. Because I think this is the usual battle with the audiophile world, isn't it? Is to win over the kind of over my dead body people. Over my dead body, will I have a subwoofer in my system? Because I've got full range speakers. Well, I guess if you have full range speakers already, then you probably don't need to worry about it. But I. And, okay, people, and yeah. you're making a, another good point here in that mm. is if you are a quote unquote advanced audiophile, who's been doing this for like 20 years and has sort of worked mm. their way up and refined the system, mm -hmm. if they don't have a subwoofer, chances are they now have full range speakers that, that are good to like 25 hertz or, yeah. or 30 hertz, right? So now if they add a subwoofer, like the majority tells them to, which is with a low pass filter, mm -hmm. forget the high pass, you and I know they're going to have a very bad experience because what subwoofer do you know that has a low pass filter that starts at 25 hertz that they can take low enough so that they don't have unnecessary overlap that mm. they just fill in they just come in with their main speaker which is already very extended in the bass where it dies off naturally it's very very rare so if that person just adds a generic good quality subwoofer with a low pass filter they most likely will have a bad experience they will have boomy they will have too much bass and they won't be. And if they dial the bass down mm. where they don't have the overlap problem, then the bass and the very low end goes away as well. Then they might as well not bother with the subwoofer. But here's, this is the weird, and this is quite interesting. You mentioned this now because earlier on this afternoon, I watched Paul McGowan talk about how bass augmentation. So no high pass on the mains 
just adding a sub to existing floor standards is the way to do proper subwoofer integration. So there are, and I'm not saying he's right or he's wrong because I don't know. But what I am saying is that there are different schools of thought Absolutely. To, to this issue, right? Some so people like McGowan would say you can add a rail sub to a pair of full range floor standards, augment the base, and get a good result. I don't know how you could do that without upsetting the tonal balance and making it too bass heavy. But that's just the theory in my head. I thought, you know, I have I've got a pair of Klipsch Forte Four in front of me here, and they're are they good to 35 hertz? Adding a sub, I don't see it as necessary as as I do with other speakers I have here. So I, I don't think there is the need. It's the well, rather the the need isn't as urgent for full range speakers. You can try it out, but I don't know. But with two way stand mounts, yeah, absolutely. Paul McGowan and Rel Audio both promote. You know, the augmentation, you just add below where your speaker gives out. Mm -hmm. I think what you and I are talking about is purely experience. You know, we may have some sort yes. of technical justifications or explanations for why we think that this works so much better. But the foundation really is that we have experienced it. We have tried both. I mean, for the longest time, I've had this man, this man tall zoo submission subwoofer. Mm -hmm. And it, it didn't have a high pass output. So I just tried to bring it in below the speakers. Mm. And I always had too much mid bass. And, right. and, and I, I tried all kinds of things, cheating with the PEQ, dialing that up, shifting the crossover point. I was never really happy. So then I kind of sort of gave up on mm. implementing a subwoofer that way. I just forgot about it. Yeah. And then I started thinking about it more. And then I realized that the thing that was missing was the high pass. Uh -huh. And then I had a preamp made and I asked the designer to custom build me a filter inside of the preamp mm. because, you know, the average high end preamp doesn't have them. Uh -huh. And I asked for a 40 hertz filter because all okay. of my speakers went down to about 35. So I figured 40 hertz sounds like that's where mm -hmm. I should add them. And that then gave me the experience of how much better the main speakers sounded. Not just that there was more bass because the sub mm. went lower, but I realized that when the high pass is reducing the burden on the main speakers, that they open up and that mm -hmm. microdynamically they become much more expressive. Mm -hmm. And that when you play loud, there's less distortion. Right. And then I did that also with my full range speakers. But downstairs, I use this Ripole sub. And there, it's not really so much about adding bass, because the full-range speakers are at minus 3 dB at 33 hertz. Mm -hmm. They're already, there's not a whole lot they're missing, because mm -hmm. they will even still reproduce 25 hertz, just not at full output. You just yeah. sort of, it's still there. But So I'm not really getting that much more bass. I'm just getting much better quality, because I've taken the room out without because you're using room treatment. Sub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why now I'm so keen on people at least knowing about the ripole subwoofers and and bipole speakers. I mean dipole speakers, especially if you have smaller rooms. You know that going to an open baffle speaker like the uh, Emerald Physics or the Spatial Audio or a Magnapan, anything yeah. like that. That is really worthwhile investigating because it does it does eliminate 
certain endemic issues. And especially if you're in a small room and you just can't get your speakers far enough apart and everything sort of sounds crowded in and the bass just, what the bass that you do have is just wooly, it's overwhelming the room, everything is just mm -hmm. sort of dark and you want more light to go in there, get a speaker whose dispersion pattern isn't 360 degree. Yeah, I had a pair of Spatial M4, I think they were, mm -hmm. in Australia, but just before I moved to Germany. I had them for about yeah, a year or so. And they were utterly fantastic. And I love the look of them as well. And they were red, and they just they looked cool. I remember. So they kind of they fit with my aesthetic ideals, you know? Yeah. So that that was great. Um, so Jean, have have we have we done our work here? Are we done? Do you think we've covered it? I think we have. And in fact, I think you have some work to do on the editing bench because we can probably throw out at least a half an hour's worth of stuff to sort of tidy it up. Okay, Srijan, let's draw a line under this. Thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Well, thanks for inviting me. This was my first podcast ever. Hopefully people can understand my peculiar English accent. <laughs> no, not at all. Like, it was, it was totally fine. I yeah. think people have to battle with my peculiar English accent as well. So, yeah, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. You have been listening to me, John Darko, and Six Moons' Srajan Ibayan. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston, and music came from Ben Pitt.